0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Megan Doherty and myself are back for another season of Picard. In this series, it's Picard season three, which will be the final season of this great television series. In this series, we will go through each episode detailing the synopsis, taking a look at some of our favorite scenes and discussing general themes and looking at Easter eggs. I know you'll enjoy because that's what heroes do, the card season three. Episode four, no-win scenario. In this episode, titled Imposter, Jack has visions of him murdering the crew. Riker returns command of the Titan to Captain Shaw, who has contacted Starfleet. Starfleet sends the USS Intrepid to arrest Picard and Riker. The commander heading the Intrepid's boarding party is Roe Lauren, who betrayed Starfleet years earlier by defecting to the Maquis and has returned to Starfleet after her imprisonment. Dr. Crusher conducts an autopsy on the imposter and discovers the changelings have evolved to evade body scanners and notifies Picard, but Roe forces him into the holodeck. Roe suspects the Changeling conspiracy has compromised Starfleet's at its highest levels, and Picard realizes he must trust her. They reconcile in one of the great scenes of this series, and at the end, Roe gives Picard her Bajoran earring, which but Picard does not understand why. Roe pilots her shuttlecraft back to the Intrepid, but Changeling saboteurs plant a bomb on board, forcing her to steer The Intrepid uh, steer the shuttlecraft into the Intrepid, not only sacrificing herself but buying Picard, Riker, and Shaw time to get away. The saboteurs who have beamed aboard uh, try to kidnap Jack, but his visions tell him these are evil people, and in a fabulous battle or fight scene, he shoots them all dead. Picard and Riker realize the earring contains intelligence Roe has gathered and a communicator. Worf and Raffi continue their investigation into the attack, finding a Vulcan criminal, of all things, named Krin. Worf kills Krin's minions, forcing Krin to give vital information on the attack. Worf contacts Picard and Riker via Roe's earrings as the Titan flees the intrepid. Jack confesses to his mother about his vision and that something is very wrong with So I found this an incredibly powerful episode. Megan, where do you want to start?
1: Oh gosh, I mean there are so many options for where we could start. But let's talk about maybe one of the big ones and let's make that the what was going on with the big reveal about Starfleet and the interplay, of the relationship between Roe and Picard.
0: Okay. So <laughs> um these were some of my favorite TNG episodes. And I can still remember watching the final episode where she was on TNG and She defected to the Maquis. And I thought a lot about that because on that episode, she was so conflicted. She had been, uh, she was a Starfleet officer, she was a tactical officer, and she'd been asked to infiltrate the Maquis who was defending Bajorans. Um, And it was, um, I thought, one incredibly powerful to the ending sort of the last scene with her. I think it was Riker. She said this to, but I know it wasn't Picard. but she said, tell captain Picard, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And it, it was as heartfelt a line as I recall in TNG, but I was a little irritated because she, she should have told him herself. And, and, what I fully didn't appreciate about my thoughts then until I saw this episode was the relationship they had. Uh, and Picard made clear in this current evolution or current episode we're talking about, they had a very deep relationship. Yeah. And, um. but uh, back in TNG, when she defected, it was, absolutely clear to me that was she had to do that she could not uh do anything against her people the bajorans her her father had been tortured to death by the Cardassians, and she yes and in front of her and he he if he didn't embody everything that was good about bajor he certainly embodied everything that was bad about the Mm Cardassians. and at that point they were some pretty bad actors um So, um, the the dialogue that they had in 10 Forward, I thought was just masterful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kudos to the scriptwriters and showrunners for deciding to give us that full story. Um, But equally to how Picard felt about her, she felt that way about him. And I guess what I wanted to explore with you a little bit was I don't think, well, this was some kind of love, but I'm not sure how to characterize it. It, it wasn't a physical love. Um, it wasn't an emotional love between partners. It was something different. And I don't want to say mentor, mentee, because I don't even think that comes close to the relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure a card saw in her something in himself. I'm not sure Picard saw in her literally the whole Bajoran people. At one point, I thought that. Uh, I'm not sure why he stood up for her when no one else would, particularly Riker. Riker seriously (laughs) disliked her in TNG. Um, And so where do you kind of, how would you assess their relationship?
1: Well, the thing, first thing I wrote down about it is is oh Roe is to Picard as Peter is to Tony it's mm. <laughs> and I got kind of at the top okay so the overarching theme here is yeah you know, the parenthood of Picard and I think Roe is his first kid uh uh and um. that was the cause of all of this and like it, like as you pointed out there is a love there and you can't hurt someone that much if there isn't love there that's not possible and something that really, pointed like that made that really poignant for me was when they were talking about well the pain that we're feeling confirms that we're not change links you know this that wouldn't be happening if that were so i think i think it's a parental and a familial type of love okay that they were experiencing yeah that, that was my take on it
0: so do you think her the little bit of story we got from her in this episode about her reasons really rang, rang true for you
1: Absolutely. I think if she had said goodbye in person, she wouldn't have gone. And I think she knew it. (laughs) And so, (laughs) Let me tell you, sir. When I was younger and soon after I'd moved out and I was living in Montreal, my parents were in Ottawa. And every time my dad would drive me to the bus station, so I would get on the bus back to Montreal, he would stand there looking sadly out the window until the bus pulled away. (laughs) And it killed me every time I had to get my mom to ask him to stop. You you don't want to that hurt to someone you care about so deeply so i think i think that she wouldn't have been able to do it if if she had had to look him in the eyes but it was so important she had to do it
0: well see i i thought it was inevitable she would she was always going to go back to advocating defending or fighting for major and the majorans and i thought the minute they asked her to go undercover into the maquis that this was where this was going so that part I thought was really a mistake Mm -hmm. on either his or Starfleet's part that they really didn't understand what a Patriot she was. Um, But it was absolutely fabulous. The reveal was great. The confrontation in 10 forward, I thought was masterful the way Mm they're using 10 forward in this series has been fabulous. Um, The um, she looked great. Uh, the whole Bajoran earring or ear earpiece. Uh, if anyone didn't see TNG or even um, DS9, you really have no appreciation of what that means in the Bajoran culture. It's it's beyond religion. It's it's like a part of them. Their earpiece, and for her not to be wearing it, I knew something was up. I didn't or see where that was going. Uh, but I, I got, uh, what, I,
1: what I loved about the the uh like the data chip being in the earpiece, it was uh and this is a, we're recording this on May the fourth. Everyone who's watching this in the future, uh, it was so. The Death Star plans are in RTD too. The plans have been passed along at great expense and great personal cost to to try and save the universe. I I loved it.
0: <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> I'm only really pissed off. I didn't think of that. Uh, um. Then how about when she gets back into the shuttle, her crew, the changelings, uh, beam back to the Titan, arm the bomb. Did it make logical sense that that was how she would die, given how she had lived?
1: I... I I feel like she knew her dies were really numbered. Like she wouldn't have left the data, I think, if she thought she'd be able to continue the work. Right. I don't know if she expected to go so fast, but I I love that she disabled the ship on her way out. Yeah. If if you have to go. And then just kind of calling it back to, you know, her TNG appearances, you know, I'm giving you this fighting chance with right. the implicit don't screw it up. There's no better way to make Picard do something.
0: So I think, yeah, well, I
1: think she did it well.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um but there was a lot uh going on here. This is when we really get the reveal about the changelings and how they have adapted and they have evolved and the is uh,
1: compromised at the highest levels. What a great sentence. What a great word like phrase. Oh, it was very exciting.
0: I found the scene in sickbay with dr crusher uh where they actually do an autopsy on the dead changeling and Mm -hmm. um, discover for the first time what has been going on and then figure out that the blood test won't work but i I think this it was in this episode we discovered how starfleet won the dominion war and having
1: the, the being able to identify who was a changeling with the the testing
0: no no. with the virus that was introduced yeah. uh, and that still bothers me and um, don't want to pick on your country because we certainly did it here but the it really reminded me of when the Indian children were taken to the seminaries and
1: it's a genocide,
0: genocide. It's- <laughs> and uh, but here we had Starfleet doing it and basically the only way they saw to win the war was genocide. And instead of being the best of us, we were the worst of us. And it, I was even irritated when, I guess it's the next episode, where it must be the next episode where Orps will we sent them the cure. Um, and I just pissed them off or something. It's like, no, you don't introduce genocide and send the cure along. You don't well, introduce genocide to start.
1: Yeah. Well, it seems like you know because as, as we've been exploring more, and, and we should do more Star Trek episodes because these these are really fun. But it's like the more I find that I'm digging into it, the more suspect Starfleet is in all instances. It, it it's been kind of fascinating to have this second really deep look at it, uh, and I think you maybe I'm not so shocked uh, that that was the choice that was made. Good well, governments have done that, as you correctly pointed out. <laughs>
0: You're our resident uh, uh, expert on all things um, The Defiant Janeway, Seven of Nine. (laughs) And I don't remember the Dominion in that series. Obviously, they were in DS9, Odo, primary character, and that's where the the war really played itself out. Um, In DS9, the war was... uh, As we would say, but a near thing that literally was every people, the Klingons, the Romulans, the Cardassians, everyone lined up against the Dominion. And that's the only way Mm -hmm. we staved them off. And then, of course, introduced the genocide. And because of the nature of their connectedness, literally destroyed an entire race of beings. Um, Is that what we did to the Borg as well?
1: think a little bit
0: <laughs> a little bit <laughs> a
1: little genocide a little, little catastrophe a little little armageddon <laughs> yeah but, uh,
0: uh,
1: yeah yeah i think and, and it's, it's so interesting because that is the response to the existential threat um the only way out or the easiest way out i don't know
0: yeah um so there are two TOS references that I absolutely have to talk about. Okay, and one we've talked about previously, and that's Daystrom Station,
1: because
0: mm. that comes from TOS episode called "The Ultimate Computer," when the inventor and builder of the computer is Doctor Richard Daystrom, uh, and so, and he was a very, I don't want to say troubled young man, because in the TOS episode he was no longer young, but he was a child or or young man prodigy. And then he tried to create the ultimate computer which, which failed. And uh, I suppose in the era of chat GPT and you know Skynet becoming self-aware, it's all things we have to talk about. But there's and, one and other and we welcome
1: re- our new robot overlords. The record.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but there's one other reference that I have to talk about. And that's the IDIC metal. Now the IDIC medal comes from an episode called In Truth. No, it, Is There In Truth No Beauty, a TOS episode. And in that episode, Diana Mulder, um, who later is Dr. Pulaski, makes her first appearance as a different character. And she is communicating with a being who is so ugly that the sight of this being will drive humans crazy, insane. Well, it turns out she's blind. And so that's why she could communicate. And she'd studied for many years on Vulcan so she could mind meld. Not as well as a Vulcan, but she had extra, extra sensory perception abilities because of her, no, because of her lack of sight and being trained on Vulcan. And in a dinner uh, to honor herself and the ambassador of this race of people who's in a container so they're not seen. Spock wears something called the Idic Medal. Mm-hmm. And the IDIC medal comes from the Vulcan Science Academy, which awarded Spock a medal. And there's a large argument at the dinner party because the uh, Dynamo Dark character thinks he is is mocking her and he says no. I wasn't. Did indeed, indeed, I did it to honor you. But there's another story to the Eidic Medal, which brings it right back down to present day, which was it was the first time that sort of item had been specifically called out in a Star Trek episode. Well, the next week, Gene Roddenberry had Eidic Medals for sale. <laughs> and he was excoriated for product placement <laughs> Of his own product <laughs> in the episode. And so he ended up having to pull them. Now, of course, they're incredibly valuable because there were such a limited run of IDIC medals. But the entire, it kind of, you leave that part out and Do go you to have the other one. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, but it, the Spock wearing the IDIC medal in that episode was really um, something we, we hadn't seen, but it called out those two episodes, one with Daystrom and the Ultimate Computer, but here with a set of beings not that we were in conflict with yet was so different than us that it drove people insane. And, and that was part of the episode. Somebody uncovers the ambassador and mm. they go insane and yeah, Enterprise has to escape that insanity. So I had to talk about that um what did you think of jack in this episode
1: okay i was gonna ask you this is because there's a rather troubled young man that we (laughs) we can we can talk about so the i was thinking about the the at the beginning of the episode i still thought he was perhaps some kind of uh human borg type hybrid um because that horrible dream the tentacles that he kind of saw appearing on people's faces on his own hands really thought it was interesting but then at the end of the dream there was a voice that said come home did that sound like vedic to you
0: that's what i thought at the time at this point in this episode i thought that there was some mental instability that had been caused by an alien being Mm -hmm. and you know maybe that turns out to be it maybe not but um there's something, I don't want to so tried to say there's a voice inside his head, because there was a voice inside his head. <laughs> but it's the first time I think he recognized something was wrong. And mm-hmm. at the end of the episode, he, he clearly understands that. And um, the scene where he kills the four changelings. Uh,
1: yeah, hello, River Tam moment. That
0: was awesome. And there were two parts to that, though. The part one was what you just said, which was he killed four changelings and and Mm -hmm. summarily executed them. But when Dr. Crusher asked him, how did you know? He can't answer it.
1: Good point. I hadn't picked up on that. That's a really good point. He doesn't
0: even know why he knew. They were so dangerous. And that, for me, mm. was like, OK, we're going in a certain direction yeah. now. All right. If, if yeah. he can recognize that on an unconscious level, when the rest of humanity or human beings or Terrans or Earthers, whatever we are called, can't, then um, there is something inside his head that's different from the rest of us. Um any other... Uh... Oh, so what other thoughts might you have?
1: I think we should, maybe if we can touch a little bit on the Wharf and Raffy subplot. So... <laughs> would I watch that Buddy Cop spinoff? Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> They're delightful, and so they, they find the, I guess, the partner or the, the um, emotional brother of Sneed uh, to get information that... They are then going to pass along to her handler that we found out was Roe. They had to fake fight to the death. Um, the Wharf death fake out scene. It had me for a minute. I thought, I thought that was going to be the end of, of Wharf, And then the reveal that Roe had been their handler and the reconnection of more old friends getting together. I liked pretty much all of it. <laughs> what, what about you?
0: Absolutely. Um, it was extraordinarily cool. Uh, in that part, the, um, Um, that whole dynamic, uh, was a lot of fun and the, yeah, yeah, it really was. And that's interesting. I really hadn't focused on the Wharf Raffi dynamic because I'm still thinking about Raffi and seven and what's going to happen when we put all of them together. um, so I really hadn't
1: um, focused. They're on lesbians. Hum- they're just going to talk about it for hours and hours <laughs> <laughs> and hours. Hummus uh, will be involved.
0: <laughs> will there be tears?
1: <laughs> Probably not.
0: Probably not. And then, and then they'll they end up really that, good
1: friends. Like
0: <laughs> uh, okay. Well, there's a great line. We'll have to talk about it in the next episode. That Warf lays on them that I just loved. Oh, but that's um, great. yeah. Yes. <laughs> And that really brought home a, a whole nother story about, you know, Klingon inter, inter dating dynamics that we probably can't get into. But yeah, that. And then at the end, when they communicate with the cards, this is Tom. And Fox turns again, Roe thanks so much for listening handler. to this episode it, of the award winning. That point because that's what heroes do. Um, I hope you'll join Megan and I again we next had, week. When so we So take up episode three. We are on the cusp of. Just also, if you could describe, rate, and oh, review uh, this podcast, wherever a, you listen to final it, thing we would before greatly we get to appreciate
1: it. Because
0: that's what Heroes Do in the next is a episode, production of a lot the more. Compliance here, Podcast This was, this was the Network. first
1: time that a, a main character, and I, I didn't write down which one it was, mentioned that the entire fleet, all of Starfleet, was going to be in one place for the Founders Day Parade, and maybe just positing that that was perhaps not the best idea uh, of all time. <laughs>
0: i think that was roe uh,
1: yeah i, th- it, it, I okay, think it was because
0: Ro. she said she had been locked out of the preparations
1: that's that. right yeah and so i was like finally someone is talking about this plainly terrible idea or it has a little bit pearl harbory you know it's kind of a historical fool me once type of thing on it you uh, know i anyway.
0: s- i saw frontier day is like um Particularly, well, in the old days of the Soviet Union, on May Day, May one, mm-hmm. they would have all the armed forces parade in front of Red Square. So I just sort of assumed it was like a May Day parade. But you think it's something different?
1: I, I think it, it's it's something that you can only do if you feel supremely confident with your position in the world, right? Like you, uh, like and and it's not the only time in history that that will have been <laughs> proven to be an unwise idea. There's some precedent here that you'd think military analysts might have considered after the recent terrorist attacks that happened on the planet. Maybe, maybe don't put the whole fleet in one place. At the same time. That's
0: a uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, okay, so great way for this episode to end. This series just is
1: so good,
0: so oh, good, so good, and oh. I'm just gonna. St- Oh, well, I was just going to say one more time. If you haven't seen this episode, go back and rewatch it just for Roe and Picard. If you're any kind of Star Trek fan, um, it's worth it just for that scene at Ten Forward.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more and can't wait to talk about the next one.
0: So you said you had something else?
1: Oh, this was just a a comment kind of on the the meta of the universe. Um, I thought it was really interesting seeing these characters. I apologize. This is more appropriate for the next episode. I will leave you on that cliffhanger. (laughs) Well done. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Award Winning, because that's what heroes do. I hope you'll join Megan and I again next week when we take up episode three. Also, if you could subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, wherever you listen to it, we would greatly appreciate it. Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.